0: I was always going to the so a so, this be a little bit of a little bit of a little bit of a little bit of a
1: You are listening to Design in the City, a podcast about the ways we can use design to make cities more livable and lovable. This podcast is a ReCite production, and ReCite is a global nonprofit acting to improve the urban environment, both on the stage at our events and off. This is Alexandra Siepenthal, and I will be your host. Exuberant, optimistic, and romantic, words Ravi Naidu, the advocate who put African design on the map, uses to describe himself. Ravi's story is one of reinvention. Just as South Africa was entering a period of newly found democracy, Ravi found an impetus to change his career. Over 20 years later, he is the driving force behind design in DABA, arguably the most influential design event in the world. The event takes place in Cape Town every year, and it's only the tip of the iceberg.
2: Uh, Hi, I'm Ravi Naidu. I'm the founder of Interactive Africa, a company based in Cape Town, South Africa. Uh, The thing it's probably most famous for is having created the design platform called Design Indaba. Indaba is spelled I-N-D-A-B-A. It's a Zulu word. It means a gathering of people. But it also means the news. And Design Indaba has become this uh, uh, multi-level platform that goes beyond a conference. And is both a think tank and a do tank. So it has, we say, three days of talking and 362 days of doing. And since it started in 1995, it has leveraged over 200 projects uh, across South Africa, increasingly across Africa and the rest of the world.
1: Not many know that Ravi came to design from an entirely different field, abandoning his research at metal school for a career in the creative industry. This is a story of incredible sensibility, living through a particular moment in history, recognizing its direction, and having enough courage to follow to become part of its transformation.
2: I'm an accidental uh, design advocate. I come from academia, I was at med school, so I was doing postgraduate research in physiology at University of Cape Town Medical School. And about the time that uh, Nelson Mandela was released from prison, it was about the time that I felt this tumultuous change going on in the country, and I thought I could reinvent myself. And I got a job in advertising, peculiarly enough but mostly because this ad agency had a pharmaceutical account and I could go in and offer value. But when I was there, I started to see the joys and the wonders of creativity, of design, and I was quite smitten by it. And uh, so it was those early days, and uh, I started an a, a MBA, and halfway through, I decided to leave my day job and start up. Uh, this platform called Interactive Africa and uh, it's done a lot of things so it's not just only been design advocacy Uh, in fact I mean yesterday uh, we are part of a platform that's just created Africa's first 5G network which is lovely so it does more than just design but uh, I think the design aspects is something that we super super proud of and we just really believe that uh, design and designing Daba, the platform we created, has just become this wonderful dreamscape, this wonderful place where we could reimagine South Africa. And uh, it's almost become like the super creative agency for the country and has done a whole host of projects in the public domain uh, where we've been able to get the genius of all of these amazing people that we can corral from around the world and, and across the country and get the genius to be able to leave the building and settle on the high street, and settle in community. And I think uh, that gives it a, a way better purpose than just being a conference.
1: Ravi made his way in the design world as its fierce advocate, elevating it to a noble purpose by arguing that, if used responsibly, it can spur democracy, along with cultural, social, and economic change. We've discussed regeneration throughout the first season of our podcast, in terms of both our cities and ourselves. Gavi shares his perspective on why regenerating himself is so important and how it is closely tied to his mission.
2: My midlife crisis, my midlife crisis, I'm going through a massive regeneration. I mean, I mean there's no issues. It's just about utilizing the time and space. I'm just going Maria Kondo in my life right now and just paring it down and just focusing on the things that really matter. But uh, so if you talk about regenerate, I think I'm going through a regenerate process of my own, mm-hmm. mentally. Uh, and more in terms of focus uh, and also decided that I love what I do and I want to extend the runway and I want to try to do it for as many more years as possible. So the first thing I did was get fit. So uh, I'm the fittest I've been in my entire life, to be honest.
1: Ravi has been a tireless force in design activism, involving himself in various humanitarian initiatives, not only in South Africa, but across the continent and the globe. From low-cost social housing projects, Security Enhancement, or the setup of contemporary infrastructure, Design in DABA inspires and empowers people to create a better future through creativity, and assessing focus is compulsory to the, driving that impact.
2: The work was always wholesome, always gave me great reverb, but you also need to take care of all of you. You need to take care of your mind, your body, and, and you need to renew and, and, uh, that constantly. So sometimes we could take that for granted. And uh, so I just uh, said to myself that, uh, uh, you know, the classical maxim, less is more. We had grown very, very quickly, uh, very fast. And, and so we maybe had too many irons in the fire. And so now we're just trying to cherry pick and do the ones that have maximum impact and, and, and say no to more things. Uh, it's a problem when you're born and when you're like an, an absolute exuberant, and I just, so I'm super excitable. I'm an incurable romantic. I fall in love with new projects all the time. But now, I just as you grow older, you just get a bit more discerning about the projects that really, really, truly matter. And the ones that could kind of move the dial. The ones that could have impact.
1: Ravi's time growing up in Cape Town has certainly shaped how he approaches projects that maximize social impact as he utilizes what the South African landscape has to offer for self regeneration. I
2: live in one of the most beautiful cities on the planet, uh, in Cape Town, and when you live there, just the lifestyle that almost is natural is to spend a lot of time outdoors. Uh, It's got this gorgeous Mediterranean climate. I live on the slopes of the mountain, so most of the gorgeous things you can do there are free. So, you know, hike up the mountain, uh, beautiful beaches. So uh, I, I think it's uh, that a massive, massive factor in, in living there uh, that uh, it's super outdoorsy and, and, and very uh, fitness-oriented. So, uh, yeah, very much so.
1: But Cape Town is a city of extreme duality. The stunning natural landscape is the background to inequality that has a hold on the built environment is design is a solution to healing the city's deeply ingrained social and spatial issues.
2: I think Cape Town's got a major problem as well. I mean, it's, it, on the one hand, it's desperately gorgeous. But I think it's got some issues with regards inequality. And uh, it's got major, major issues between the divide between the rich and the poor. And it plays itself out spatially as well in the city, where the poorest people live in the most farthest parts of the city. And the transport and public transport infrastructure for them is not great, so I think we're needing to start to really look at a complete makeover and a spatial redesign of the city, and look at how we could get more uh, lower income housing closer into the city, improve the densification of the city. It's a very sprawling, large city over like a hundred and twenty square kilometer radius, and uh, but uh, I. It, I think uh, we should do do more in terms of reimagining the spatial planning that was kind of imposed on the city by the colonial era and the apartheid era. And the spatial planning was done according to racial lines um, more than anything else. So I think even with us 25 years into democracy, I don't think we've solved for that yet.
1: Seeking solutions to revive Cape Town, Ravi drew inspiration from Chile, where an architect used a novel approach to infrastructure for marginalized communities. He argues that good design pushes the boundaries of its own definition, challenging its intelligence to be analytical of a bigger picture.
2: We have to find interesting models as to how to make the economics work and how to do it. And uh, we're constantly surveying models around the world. I love Alejandro Aravena's model in Chile, where he did the so-called good half house which is a beautiful project that his studio elemental did in chile and he worked out that if the budget for a house low-cost house was ten thousand US dollars why don't you spend seventy percent on the land closer to the city and then only spend thirty thousand three thousand dollars on the infrastructure so he built half a house and he left large holes for people to fill it in because people are natural builders and he only provided the stuff that's hard to do which is servitude access to electricity sewage etc and it was a completely heretical mad idea super super eccentric but absolutely spot on and he realized that uh, you know poor people one of their biggest expenses is their spend on transport and you know bring them closer to the city and and let poor people benefit from the economics of what young professionals do young professionals they have an acronym called GASH, Good Area Small House. That's how you start in, in, in your journey. But poor people don't have that. Uh, they have BASH, Bad Area Small House. Uh, and, and and the question is that could we give them a better area, and 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 they'll be able to have homes that become more marketable, and uh, and 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 really help in 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 doing some degree of wealth creation for poorer people. So I think. Some of the problems are not design issues. They are almost like design economics. They're like Alejandro's solution was 20% design, 80% economics. Uh, and I think us as designers, we must be these great integrators to understand the sociological issues, the environmental issues, the economic issues, the political issues, uh, uh, in, in terms of fashioning a, a proper integrated solution.
1: His interpretation of design... Holding it to a higher purpose comes from an unbelievable amount of conviction to use design and creativity as a catalyst for change.
2: I always feel that uh, it's about identification of problems and it's about trying to solve a problem. That's, the, that's where you, you, seek, you get your relevance from. Most of the projects that we do, we aren't in response to a brief. Uh, we actually spot a problem and we tried to corral the resources around to try and solve for it. Almost every single one of those projects was not really in response to a brief. It was in response to an area where we felt it hurt and we needed to trigger point it. So uh, it's almost like a doctor says, where does it hurt, son? Where does it hurt? And then you know, try to, and, and then try to, to, to uh, impact on those aspects. So uh, we felt that, for example, in the low-cost housing project, we just felt that the housing solutions were just not up to scratch. They were horrible. They were cringeworthy. They were embarrassing. And it needed some attention. So our, our job is not necessarily, we're not property developers, but we are catalysts. And we are just about trying to offer alternatives and better solutions and just to widen the scope of what's possible. And that's, that's our self-imposed remit and mandate.
1: We've been throwing around that word quite a bit, design. So we dug deeper into all of its simplicities and complexities, what it means to Ravi, and what he aims to accomplish with expanding that definition, injecting it with a deeper ambition.
2: I think design on the one hand, it's a... It's having a moment. Um, it makes the covers of the Harvard Business Review. Uh, you're getting chief design officers into the corporate C-suites, into so they become vice presidents of companies, and uh, you're getting massive uh, companies having chief design officers. So there's a kind of affirmation that design is a wonderful kind of tool for. Helping in creating competitive advantage also must be also caution I think that we need to make sure that we uphold standards for design because I think on the one hand part of designs benefit is that it's this broad church but it's also part of its weakness and so you know anyone can appropriate the terminology design hair designer acrylic nail designer so, you know, where does design stop and end? And so I think, you know, design should be about that skill or facility to improve the quality of life. And uh, I would like to uphold it the, the, the most uh, highest purpose for design. I think uh, it's very, very important. I mean, the other thing that's making waves is like design thinking. And on the one hand, I think it's quite simplistic. It's a bit too mechanistic. But. And I think it's too mechanistic, and maybe sometimes it is uh, trying to, uh, you know, take a process and just uh, codify it in too simplistic a way. But. You know, it's quite bemusing to me that somebody could go to a design thinking workshop for three hours, one afternoon, get a certificate and consider themselves like they've unlocked the secrets of design. So uh, you know, I think part of design thinking uh, is bullshit, and, uh, but I also see the power of it in being able to be a, a carrier and a purveyor of what's good about design but uh, I, I don't think it's literally down to seven very, very easy steps.
1: We've already heard that design and Daba's ethos places an emphasis on being a do tank rather than a think tank. He uses an example from the commission Arc for Arc project, a memorial created to commemorate the life and work of Desmond Tutu. He describes the invaluable lessons they learn from making bold moves, prototyping ideas, and taking action.
2: Well, I think the nicest part about the whole design toolkit is that it's all about prototyping, right? Design is a doing discipline. You learn by doing. You design by doing. So it's about really getting in there and doing. So even that arch for arch project, before we got any support whatsoever, we made a prototype. We, we conjured up uh, uh, this idea uh, with Snow Heta and a South African architectural practice called Local Studio. And admittedly, we incurred the costs, we took a risk, but we realized that we needed to capture the imagination. And the only way to do it was to almost make a reasonable facsimile of it. So we walked with this amazing boat builder who bent the wood and was able to create a, a, a scale version of what this would look like. And it was only when that happened that we were able to garner support for it, get financial support for it, and it became so real that the city planners, the urban planners, the heritage associations, the Anglican diocese, the parliament, all the bodies that needed to say yes and needed for us to be able to do this was able to do it. So sometimes we need to bootstrap this idea and make a prototype and I think it's it's a wonderful way in in, in doing it it also helps you to fine-tune your proposition and uh, you you learn an immense amount along the way but it becomes the best investment you're going to make in terms of realizing the project.
1: Design can and does at times exist in a bubble. The best strategy for designers to break out of this is by proving its relevance with action. We discussed how it is the simple honesty of making, advocating, and using creativity to remind us that design is relevant and imperative to our quality of life.
2: But building it and making it, uh, I mean, we've got so many case studies over the time right now. Uh, the housing project is exemplified by, you know, it is out there. It's open source to governments across Africa. It's being built as far afield as Accra, Ghana. So other people take up your ideas. That's proof points. Uh, the Museum of Contemporary African Arts that we were progenitors of has been an absolute transformative building in Cape Town and become quickly a magnet for the art sector uh, on the continent. So uh, I think uh, you know you, you start small. And you start to build a body of work, and sometimes they're not spectacular, they're small little expeditionary uh, sorties. I mean, we made an app uh, with a speaker that we actually sold, and it becomes again these proof points that creativity is, uh, you know, could be a wonderful impetus for uh, the economy, for growth. And, and so we're not just only talking about creativity for social benefit. We're also showing it as a wonderful method and means to earn a crust, to be gainfully employed. So we do work that's sometimes for profit and also not for profit. But uh, yeah, you're constantly having to prove yourself. That's that's you, you you don't stop. And we can't ever rest on our laurels. Next year will be our 25th anniversary. But your next new pitch that you're doing, you're still zero-based. Sure, you come in with a reputation and a bit of an aura of what you've done, but for that particular project, it's ground zero. And so you just have to, can't be smug, you can't be complacent, and you start it all off and have the mentality of a startup and, and get going.
1: Design is an industry where one learns by doing, and failure is a natural part of its creative process. We were curious about Ravi's approach to failure and how he employs it for experimentation, growth and humility.
2: We fail often. And not all of our projects, uh, you know, stood the test of time. But I think they were, along the way, they've just become these great inflection points and great places that just shift the trajectory. So part of your purpose is not to do things that are absolutely everlasting sometimes they could be ephemeral and transient but it, and while it lasted it could be good enough just to shift consciousness and to shift behavior uh, but as a viable project maybe economically not so so uh, uh, yeah I don't think we should beat ourselves up about it and we should ask ourselves like uh, why we're we doing it and what is it for but uh, I uh, got lots of cuts and bruises Uh, lots of scuffed knees because uh, so much about what we do is experimentation but it comes with that kind of disclaimer like before we built those houses in a squatter camp we had no idea as to how it would weather how it would be but here it is ten years on and it's there but along the way it was not without some major major mishaps and, 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 and uh, setbacks uh, while uh, you know building it and uh, a lot of remedial work to be done but when you know you commit yourself to this you, you hardly ever get anything right first time so just get over that just get over it. you will flounder uh, we all do uh, no matter how illustrious your reputation is or how many years you've got by way of experience, just get over it.
1: And that sort of humility requires a certain amount of fearlessness. The field of design has typically been a playground for beautiful objects whose production process requires energy and material resources that are not necessarily sustainable. Design is having a moment where it should be about finding alternative and innovative solutions to pressing problems that plague cities.
2: When we started, design was more, a lot more about color, texture, surface, and more about people that you would call-in at the end of the process in order to, you know, add lipstick. And uh, whereas I think design has become a little more central right now. And I also think that the, the remit and the purpose and the scope of design has widened. And if you start to look at these and the graduates that we are hosting next month in Antenna, um, and you start to see the, the areas that they're working in, uh, it defies the standard classification codes for design. You look at the project and you'll say, is that architecture? Is it urban planning? Uh, what exactly is it? And, and I think a lot more of it is people are realizing that the wicked problems uh, can't be solved. They have to be solved systemically. And so I think you're finding that designers have become better generalists and they're able to, at the one, understand technology and write code, they have to understand economics, Um, they have to uh, understand sociology, and I think uh, more and more uh, the the designers of the now uh, tend to be a lot more aware of that and, and tend to be less about servicing the design industrial complex, meaning waiting for a commission from a furniture company to make a new chair, but actually putting themselves in harm's way, stepping into the public square, and, and, and creating completely new to the world projects. I mean, there's a designer in Cape Town who's created a new app that's become invaluable in being able to have primary healthcare workers while they're working out in deep rural areas to have access to uh, the best specialists and expert advice from the best specialists who happen to be in the major cities. And and And, and you know, that is just the most amazing uh, design that solves a fantastic uh, challenge, and uh, and I think, uh, you know, in the old days, uh, people would say, "But is that is that design?" Of course it is, uh, and uh, and I think more and more uh, nowadays we, we we are starting to see design venturing into these new areas. I mean, uh, we had a lot this year at Design in Dubai. The fabulous people from Zipline, who are aeronautics engineers, but they design the world's largest commercial drone service, which delivers blood and other emergency medical supplies over the t- really difficult terrain of Rwanda, and uh, through two distribution centers, and they're able to crisscross to Rwanda, and uh, and and it's absolutely fantastic and. You know, uh, I think that uh, I'm so excited about the scope of where design's going, and uh, and, and and this for me is uh, designers responding to the crises of the day. Uh, I think we've solved for teacups. I think we've solved for chairs mostly. We've got some other more vexing issues that us designers must be involved in.
1: Many designers have learned to adapt becoming experts in areas beyond just design where they can gain a deeper perspective. Ravi expressed his wish for large organizations and national institutions to involve creative professionals and designers into their respective fields. And as we grapple with the damage from climate change, design could be the salvation to a sustainable future for us all.
2: Yeah, I think they're needing to become spaces that have to be open to innovation and open to new ideas. They tend to be very hidebound. They tend to be people who have formulae and methodologies that they just step and repeat year after year. And in many instances, uh, even their processes, uh, like in terms of how they commission new work, does not really allow for the best idea. So I think they need to become better commissioners. And they need to create these kind of fora for, uh, for innovation. Uh, we're doing a new project with the UN. It's called Design United. It's going to take place in the fall of 2020. In, in, in New York. And the whole motivation for that is that in terms of the sustainable developmental goals, we feel that governments are talking to the environmentalists, they're talking to policymakers, they're talking to economists, but they're not talking to the creative community. So we wanted to corral the creative community because we think the creative community have the agency, they have the wherewithal to be able to help to solve for this. Because clean water is a design challenge, better housing is a design challenge, but why haven't the UN asked designers? Why, why haven't they hosted designers? So we're trying to, you know, solve for that, and um, we, it's increasingly a part of our remit. I think it's the global agenda of the SDGs. It's the Sustainable Developmental Goals. I mean, I think you know, if designers are looking for an agenda for the next 11 years, till the year 2030. They can do no worse than utilizing the SDGs as as a template for their work, because I think. You know, it's the biggest multilateral agreement we've ever had in the history of humanity and uh, it is a, brings into sharp focus what the pressing issues. It's the list of the problems that we need to solve for if we want to be able to uh, inhabit this earth uh, for a lot longer and don't, uh, not involved in our own mass extinction. So I don't think of any project right now that could be more crucial than uh, Spaceship Earth and, uh, and, 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 and focusing on that. But it, what it means is that in all that we do, we just have to be way more conscious. And conscious not just about the product, but the process behind every single product. Be conscious of the full value chain understand where things come from and where they go to and be responsible for all of it. And, uh, and, and I think it's this greater responsibility that designers must really, really, uh, you know, be uh, uh, completely open to and, and must be able to carry uh, this responsibility going forward. Where things come from and where they go to, uh, uh, you know, the commissioning and the decommissioning of everything.
1: While we see the realistic yet thoughtful approach Ravi brings to the design community, he still views himself as a romantic. Ravi always dreams big for design in DABA, and we are curious what future projects he has in mind for the next decade and beyond.
2: Yeah, I've got a crazy one. I mean, it's absolutely, it's positively bonkers. And I'm worried that if I say it, I'm going to have to frigging do it. But like, I'll say it. I want to do a project in every country in Africa. So that'll kind of take care of my next 20 years. So there's 54 countries in Africa. I think I need to kind of create a studio of 54. <laughs> 54 countries in Africa. And so far, we've got projects in three. Uh, so God almighty, 51 to go. But uh, that, would be, that would be really cool to just have, you know, using Cape Town as a base become a bit more of a a catalyst and an agitator and a a provocateur for projects in other cities in Africa. I think some of the design in Darba energy, uh, we should be able to try and bottle it and share it with more cities across
1: the continent. Back to Ravi's questions. What is design for?
0: auf der Grundlage der politischen Entscheidungen und der politischen Entwicklungen und der politischen Situation und der politischen Lage und you politischen Entwicklungen und der politischen Situation und der politischen Lage und der politischen Entwicklungen und der politischen Situation und der politischen Lage und der politischen Entwicklungen und der politischen Situation und der politischen Lage und der politischen Entwicklungen und der politischen Situation To der politischen Lage und
1: Questions that push the boundaries of what constitutes as design challenges us to apply its absolute power. We will wrap up with words from Ravi, speaking at the ReCite conference.
0: Well, it's to tell you. look at people at this time, and you You to you do
1: That was Ravi Naidu, founder of Design in Daba, the globe's leading interactive and progressive design festival, happening annually in Cape Town, South Africa. You can find more info and keep up with Ravi's latest projects on the links listed in this episode's description. Thank you for listening to Design in the City. Join us as we dissect these issues with guests like Ravi Naidu, founder of Design in Daba, Thomas Heatherwick, founder of Heatherwick Studios, architecture critic, and founder of McMansion Hell, Kate Wagner, Wallpaper China's Yoko Choi, and many more. This podcast is brought to you by ReCite, the global nonprofit acting to improve the urban environment and organized as part of the project Shared Cities Creative Momentum. You can find more talks, stories, and information about upcoming events at ReCite.org. Become involved with the ReCite community through our various social channels or by joining our newsletter. All links can be found in the show notes. This podcast is produced by Radko Andruchkova, Matthieu Costu, Adriana Bielakova, Gil Cienfuegos, and Paulina Rio Buca. It is directed and hosted by myself, Alexandra Siepenthal, and recorded and edited by Little Big Studio.